to all Venn alumni and friends. This is Julia and Sam Bloor welcoming you to Venn Lockdown Radio. Hello from Corona Live. I FaceTime called a thousand times to show you I'm sitting right here on the couch. What's the Oh, come on, mate, chin up. It's not that bad. We're in lockdown level three, headed towards level two. Go and put some pants on. Welcome to the program, another show of Venn Lockdown Radio. This is program number six. And because of the changes in lockdown levels, we've changed the frequency of this slightly. This is coming to you fortnightly. And so you're getting this on a Saturday morning, a pretty cold Saturday morning. The weather has changed. Yeah, that's what's slowing down the heat. (laughs) It is freezing and all of a sudden straight to being cold. Yeah, it does change and it changes quickly. Uh, So make yourself a cup of tea or coffee and uh, enjoy the program that we've got for you. We're making our cups of tea and coffee out of a saucepan on the stove because our kettle blew up this week. And so having given a message at St Paul's Church on sort of slowing down and finding moments to be a little quieter a few weeks ago, I'm now having to take my own advice. Even making a cup of tea or coffee has slowed the pace right down. True, although I've actually been pleasantly surprised at how fast a pot of water will actually boil. And it turns out it does boil while you watch it. <laughs> it does. There we go. Thanks, hey, Jules. Favourite meme of the week? Favourite meme of the week. Nothing's making sense. No more friends. No more basketball kids. Our home from school. It's raining too. And I'm losing my mind. Okay, yeah, we said we'd get on to uh, a few more of these. Some of the states, I chatted to a friend living in the United States. He says it's a bit crazy over there. You've got some states uh, treating this very differently. So I thought this meme was quite good. Having some states locked down and others not locked down is like having a peeing section in the swimming pool. (laughs) That's great. I've got one as well. This is kind of from way back when everyone was making the jokes about the toilet paper. Yes. Does anyone know how long toilet paper will last if you freeze it? I need toilet paper, toilet paper, toilet paper. The power of toilet paper is my corona. Toilet paper. Freezing everything else and stockpiling toilet paper. I know, there have been a few things in our freezer that we're like, when did we put this in here? Do you think it's still okay? How long does this last in the freezer? Yeah. Haven't frozen toilet paper yet though. Hey, we've got a great program uh, this time around. We're going to be chatting with Nico and Shelley Neekling, who've both done internships a number of years ago now. They have, and they are obviously now married. And just as a side, they have the best love story ever. And we're not going to talk to them about that. No, you could actually make a feature film out of that. You actually could. So I would suggest to you that you find out that story if you haven't already. You'll find it very heartwarming. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually 
is all around. We're also going to be speaking with Frank Ritchie. Um, Frank is a media chaplain, amongst other things, so we'll be finding out a little bit about what's happening in New Zealand media. Yes, and we're going to be chatting with Hannah Chapman, who is based down in Turangi. She is an adjunct teaching fellow with Venn. As always, we'll be chatting with Olivia Byrne right at the end of the program and finding out what's coming up in a week's time in Common Ground. But first, most weeks we've been chatting with Nathan McClellan, CEO of Venn, and finding out just a little bit about the organisation as a whole. This week we thought it would be great because both Venn Lockdown Radio and Common Ground come under the area of supporting context, which is the part of Venn that Michelle Young heads up. We thought it'd be great to chat with her. Michelle, hi. Hi. Nice to have you with us. Yeah, it's lovely to hear your voices, <laughs> as always. Hey, Michelle, one of the things that we've been asking people to do is update us on the things that they have been up to since doing the fellowship or the VVP. Um, I think most people probably know what you do at Venn, but maybe give us a little bit of detail as to what your job entails and also some of the other things that you're involved with. Yeah, so I have been uh, directing the supporting context in the summer conference here at Venn for the last five years. Um, that involves all sorts of various aspects. The summer conference obviously is, is pretty contained and uh, that's once a year, it's a wonderful um, offering that we have at summer. Uh, but in terms of supporting context, that's a bit more uh, complex uh, and there's a, a number of things going on. Um, many people probably don't know that we're down in Wellington as much as we are up here in Auckland. Um, we're doing events down there, we're running space down there as well as in Auckland, which is our monthly gathering um, to pray and to worship and to seek God. We've also got the conversation evenings which we're running across the country, so Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. And then we're doing various other things around the country, things like winter conference and winter school. Um, so all sorts of things really. Um, but everything that we're doing is really around supporting, encouraging uh, our alumni to, um, to think deeply, live faithfully, serve wisely. So. Mm. And everything's kind of changed, hasn't it, in lockdown. So what does work look like for you over this period of time? Yeah, so it was actually quite funny. In, in the kind of the moment that we got the announcement, there was a group of us in the lounge down here at Cape Horn having a workshop right. around what would we do uh, if lockdown happened. Um, we didn't realise that it was going to happen kind of within 48 hours. So <laughs> yeah. in terms of supporting context, um, Common Ground, Lockdown Radio, both of these things fall under that, um, that category. So we've been trying to figure out how do we continue to encourage and support alumni uh, in the midst of um, this very odd time that we're in. Um, how do we bring thoughtful, creative, um, theological reflections um, to, to people's homes? And what about outside of Venn, Michelle? Because I know there's a couple of other things you've been involved in. Yeah, so probably two main things that I'm involved in at the moment outside of uh, the immediate work context. One is that I'm sitting on uh, the vestry of St. Paul's um, and the other is that I'm also on the trust of Karifar Trust. Uh, so that's an organisation that one of the main things we do is, is take people up to Waitangi each year to help people understand the story um, and engage, I think, uh, with New Zealand and with the story of Tango Whenua uh, and with the story of the missionaries. So it's, mm. it's good fun. 
So you've been living on your own down Cape Horn Road, Michelle. What's that been like in lockdown? Yeah, so um, living as a single person, I think, always has its challenges and and its gifts, really. I think, um, you know, you you think about uh, the life of families and the life of um, somebody who's living by themselves and um, they're kind of parallel tracks. You know, we're all all travelling through COVID, but um, we're experiencing it pretty differently. Um, so for me, I think uh, it's been a time of, um, of solitude, of silence, of prayer, of reading, um, but I've actually really enjoyed it, and I think I've been fortunate enough to, um, to join Bubbles with you lovely folk, and to yeah. have that punctuated <laughs> by Easter celebrations, and you know, the odd child climbing onto my knee and having a hug, so um, it's been, yeah, I mean, work's been pretty central through the midst of it. Um, but I think there's been there's been space for other things, and um, I've really appreciated it actually. Mm. Another very important role that you have at the moment is updating us as to what is happening with the goats at Cape Horn. <laughs> yeah, so the goats, the uh, the phantom goats, which uh, I think Rachel Langton first spotted in 2008, or maybe a few years before. Um, are definitely not phantom. There's a there's a number of them that are now roaming the property uh, on a regular basis. They wake me up most mornings at about six thirty, and they are they're keeping the lawns mowed. Um, but unfortunately, they also are starting to eat uh, David Hayes' native plants, and oh. uh, uh, also they've wandered as far up as the gates. So I'm pretty sure they're about to breach. They've goat droppings all over the driveway. We took um, Sophia down there the other day to help her learn to ride a two-wheeler and there's just goat poo everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we talk about watching Sophia sort of learning to ride the bike. Well, you you had them down there doing that, Michelle, and apparently you're really good on rollerblades. That's the kids... Had us uh, come down and witness come and, Michelle. Come and watch her, Mum. Come and watch her. Look backwards, how fast she can backwards go. Backwards rollerblading at some speed down the driveway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The things of our youth, eh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Michelle. Thanks so much for joining us. It has been a great way to start the show. Thanks, guys. On a bluff, on a bluff, there live three Billy goats gruff. Little Billy Goat, little Billy Goat, great big Billy Goat gruff. Every day, every day, they'd run and jump and play. Little Billy Goat, little Billy Goat, great big Billy Goat gruff. They'd run and run and run and run and run and run and run. The next couple we're speaking to are very close to our hearts. Shelley Neathling was on the first full internship program that Sam and I worked on, and so we've That's got right. fond memories. Shelley Tate, then. It was Shelley Tate, as she came over from South Africa to do the program, and of course has ended up married to Nico Neathling, who did the internship a few years before she did. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, guys. How's it going? Pretty well, thank you. Nico, tell us a little bit about what you have been up to since you did the internship back in was it two thousand and eight? Two thousand and nineteen. We did. I did the. I did the summer internship. So yeah, it was, uh-huh. started two thousand and nine and just over that summer, so into two thousand and ten. Okay, and so what have you been up to since then? Oh, jeepers! <laughs> a cheeky decade. Um, <laughs> I have. So straight after the internship, I went travelling for a year. Um, 
as, as, as lots of New Zealanders do. Um, a bit of a hodgepodge of things, a bit of a motorbike trip here in, uh, in Vietnam. And then I did a little bit of time in Cambodia um, with an aid organization. And then because I'd um, met the wonderful Josh Couch uh, at university and he told me awesome stories of Afghanistan. I went to go visit his parents in Afghanistan, which was super cool. Um, and then I went to London looking for a job and decided not to do, I did design at uni um, and decided not to do a boat design job and um, actually went on to uh, Tanzania and yeah, it was helping out with all sorts of things. But that's sort of where I figured out that um, something in the form of like a human systems design is um, what I'd love to do. So um, after Tanzania, I made a quick stop in South Africa to visit um, a certain someone called Shelley. I feel it in my finger. I feel it in my toe. Um, awesome. And obviously my family. So I'm originally from South Africa as well. Um, and yeah, then um, came back to New Zealand and um, via a whole bunch of awesome people, including Matt Ayres, who lives next to you guys. Um, kind of actually ended up working in a, uh, as a, as a service designer at a, a company called Second Road, which at that stage, um, Mark Strom, um, who's also sort of connected to, to Venn, um, was running at the time. So, um, yeah, yeah. And then from there, um, I came back to New Zealand. Uh, it was kind of the last time our, uh, world decided to have a recession. Um, and, um, I was last in, first out, and back to New Zealand. And then um, okay. I actually started a sort of a customer experience design team in a little design agency called DNA and was there for seven years. So ended up um, running that team um, for quite a while. Wow. Uh, and it was okay. during that time, 2012, that um, I went over to South Africa again for Shelley's sister's wedding. <laughs> and um, yeah, reconnected with um, a childhood flame. I feel it in my finger. I feel it in my toe. Which the flame never really died, did it, babe? Never. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, she, after we went on a big family holiday, sort of recreated a family holiday. And then um, I chased her back to Stellenbosch where she was doing her masters. And we, well, the rest is sort of long story from there but we dated uh, distance for a while and um then she ended up coming over to New Zealand and that was the point where there were um there was a summer internship wasn't it so you did the the summer internship of 2012-2013 yes that's right and what have you kept yourself busy with since then um so during the internship I figured out that I needed a job to stay in New Zealand and so um, it was actually Annette Pereira who let me know there was a job going at Laidlaw College in their communications team. And so I was yeah, really lucky to get a job at Laidlaw after the internship. And I started out working um, alongside Mary Hockey, which I'm sure a lot of people listening um, will know. And um, yeah, I stayed there for almost three years before working at Parenting Place. So I started at Parenting Place in 2015. And at that stage, Greg Fleming had just taken over at Parenting Place and there was a bit of change and the editor of Parenting Magazine had moved on. And so he asked me if I would edit their magazine, which was a terrifying proposition because I 
hadn't edited a magazine before and I wasn't a parent. So (laughs) (laughs) a little bit daunting. It was um, an incredible opportunity and I've worked at Parenting Place since then, um, which has been wonderful. Um, But just a minor minor blip on that radar was having a baby. Right, yes. Yeah, you've... you've, uh... Ticked both of those boxes now. Edited magazine, tick, and parented, tick. Yes, did it the wrong way around, but now I'm <laughs> a parent, which is great. Um, I can go back and read all the magazines to see if I'm applying all the different techniques. Um, so, yeah, I've been on maternity leave. Well, I was on maternity leave for 12 months. <laughs> Evelyn, our little darling girl, is now 17 months, and I'm still mostly at home, but just doing some contract work for Parenting Place helping edit a book um, that one of the family coaches, Jenny Hale, is writing. She's the most amazing person and has this incredible wealth of parenting knowledge. And so she's um, putting it down in a book and I've had the privilege of working alongside her to get that done. Um, and So Shelley's just basically the great parent and I just hold the crap nappies. Like that's the arrangement <laughs> is that she knows what she's doing and I'm fumbling. <laughs> Not true. I changed the nappies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything. And, and, and I'm the assistant. No, not true. Because an amazing dad. <laughs> and yeah, so uh, um, the book has been on pause during lockdown. But um, Jeremy Vargo had asked me to write an article for Flint and Steel. So that's been awesome. That's been keeping me busy during Evelyn's lunchtime nap and some evenings. And yeah, that's been. Um, on a topic that's also very close to my heart. So I've been really grateful for that work. Can you tell us a little bit about what that article is about? Yeah, so um, foster care and particularly um, a new therapy model that some agencies are using called Trust-Based Relational Intervention, um, which is a bit of a mouthful, but TBRI for short. And it's quite remarkable. It's to help equip caregivers who have um, highly traumatized kids coming into their homes. So it's basically recognizing the fact that kids who come from hard places um, need to be cared for and parented differently to kids who don't. And that's because these kids' brains are just quite different. They've developed very differently. And often these kids are operating out of a space um, or operating out of their primitive brain, which means that they're kind of stuck in this fight or flight space. And so obviously their behavior is going to reflect that they're unable to, to bring online a part of their brain that will help them have healthy relationships and um, think rationally through things. And so it's, it's a, the training really helps caregivers understand what's going on for these kids to see what their real needs are and to love them and care for them in a way that actually helps grow their brains and heal their brains. Um, so it's, um, I guess a lot of things we would think intuitively, we know that keeping kids safe and loved um, and building trust is really great (laughs) for them and for anybody, but this is really the science behind that. And so um, it's quite exciting, really hopeful stuff. It is. That sounds amazing. I've heard a little bit about that way of doing things, but I will be really excited to read that article. Guys, one of the things that we've been focusing a little bit on has been the change from the medical crisis to the looming economic one as we've flattened the curve and done an amazing job of kind of stamping out the virus. The 
economic impacts are starting to really um, hit home for people and that's going to be a reality for a while. Nico, I know that your work now, having gone from sort of DNA to uh, the bank, you're with the BNZ Bank, you're starting to hear some of these narratives uh, come through. Tell us a bit about that. So, um, yeah, we are starting to, um, I guess, see some um, of the foretaste, uh, mostly in how the banks, or especially uh, at BNZ, um, but all the banks are preparing uh, for, I guess, the next two years. And I guess in that, the scale of that preparation, um, I think you start to kind of sense what the impact um, is predicted to be. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think kind of gives me a, I've, I've, I've had a real sense of, of grief around what the next two years is going to mean um, for people. And um, specifically, I think, I mean, it, it's going to affect people unequally in a pretty big way. It'll affect um, those less privileged around us um, a lot more. Um, so it's, it's going to be a pretty tough time for New Zealand. But I think um, for me personally, actually, it's been, um, uh, it's sort of an, an awakening in some ways. Um, I felt very drawn to this um, kind of challenge space. I think as a designer, I'm really drawn to big problems anyways, but um, yeah, this specifically. So there's a, I work in a, just as a bit of context, I work in a, um, with a couple of other people run the innovation team at BNZ. And um, so we're looking at a whole bunch of new ways to help um, people and businesses and everything else. But yeah, so it's a, it's an, a really crazy time, but I think it's going to be um, really hopeful for how we can not only pull together as New Zealand, but also see kind of um, people respond in new and really hopeful ways. So yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful, but also I guess very wary um, coming. Yeah. Hey guys, thanks for sharing with us tonight. It's been really lovely chatting with you. Hey, great to chat to you guys. Lovely to chat to you guys. Thanks for having us on the show. And thanks for not not making it a video chat because my hair's my hair's getting out of control. So Oh man, don't even talk to us about hair. You should see Sam's. My hair's getting long enough where it's on the verge of, of obedience, sort of like, you know, what my high school career was, like always on the verge of obedience, but it's not, it's not quite not quite there. There's a lot of people who are relieved this is audio only, guys. <laughs> Almost everyone we speak to. <laughs> Bless you. See you later. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. It's great to be joined by Hannah Chapman, who is an adjunct teaching fellow on staff with us at Venn, but she wears a number of other hats as well and is a also a good friend, was a, a neighbour of ours going back uh, some years um, when she lived in Auckland. So Jules and I have just been having a great catch up with her. Hannah, so good to have you on the programme. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Hannah, can you tell us a little bit about how you actually got involved with Venn in the first place and how you sort of ended up being an adjunct teaching fellow? Sure. Um, I think it's about five years ago now. Um, I went. I was invited by Greg. Fleming to um, the summer conference, yeah. um, which was up north at that point. Um, and I initially agreed um, because another friend, Jade Hohai, was coming, was going along. Um, but then I got some last minute nerves, so I pulled out. Um, and Greg came, in, came to visit me on New Year's Day um, and asked me to reconsider. So because he gave up a public holiday, I felt <laughs> somewhat <laughs> um, <commitment>. obligated. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I did go. 
Um, and it was the, I guess the the weariness was around being in a, a very different cultural context to what I was familiar with. Mm. There was, yeah, some weariness about that, but um, I was really impacted by that week um, in a very, very personal way, um, particularly as a Māori woman um, in what was a predominantly Pākehā space. Mm. Um, and though that experience wasn't new to me, the reception and the welcome and the extension of friendship that I experienced there from um, the Venn staffing community was really impacting. Um, and so from then on, um, there was this commitment to relationship, um, which saw me going to the next couple of summer conferences and attending different events throughout the year. Um, and I was also on staff with... Um, the parenting place at the time, which was closely associated with Venn. Um, and yeah, just the relationship grew over time and then eventually Nathan um, offered me the opportunity to participate as a staff member, um, which has been great. Really cool. Hmm. Oh yeah, it has, it has been great. It's, you know, we've uh, got, to, got to know you over the years um, and there'll be people who are listening to this where you're a, a familiar voice and, and others who are um, sort of, I guess, in some ways being being introduced to you, Hannah. You wrote a great piece uh, actually in the Common Ground a couple of weeks ago and I guess that, that sort of theme of service is one that comes out in a number of the hats you wear um, because, you know, your, your work with Venn is, is part-time because of other things that you're that you're doing, that you're involved in. Tell us a bit about those. Sure. Um, so I have one um, small contract, which is with an organisation called Te Orahau Aotearoa. Um, and a very brief description of it is that it's a Christian, a Māori Christian youth development organisation. Um, so it is Kaupapa Māori. Um, there are five centres around the country that are each autonomous with their own boards. Um, but then the Aotearoa board is also there to support the centres achieve what they're um, what they're doing in their community-led development work. Um, so that's a massive privilege for me to be a part of that. Um, Tiorahoe came out of YFC originally um, about 40 years ago um, oh. and has seen um, some really incredible people go through. Um, so, yeah, that's a massive privilege. Um, yeah. And... Um, I also do work setting up an organisation um, from the US and Canada. Um, it's called NATES, an Indigenous Learning Community. Um, and we are trying to set that up here in New Zealand. Um, and they offer Masters and PhD qualifications in theology. Um, mm. But the uniqueness to it is that it's um, offering the opportunity for Indigenous people to do theology as Indigenous. Um, so all Indigenous faculty, contextualised curriculum, um, and so on. Um, so Nate has had relationship with um, a large part of the Māori Christian community in New Zealand over a number of years now, um, and we've gathered around that question of what it means to be authentically Indigenous and authentically Christian mm. for a long time. Um, so this next phase of setting up Nate's in New Zealand is is part of that movement, it's part of that, that whakapapa of what God's been doing amongst Māori um, for many, many years. Mm. And so also a big privilege to be a part of that. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, and then 
um, Papa Kainga life. So um, my whanau and I live in a Papa Kainga, which is, um, it's our family home and it's a cluster of different homes um, all together and it's on our ancestral land. Um, this land has been passed down through my grandmother's line. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a number of things that go on here, but um, part of that is the, uh, I guess, an extension of mum and dad's ministry that they've held, um, had for many, many years, um, community development work, um, working with communities. Um, but it's always been done in the context of our home. Um, and so to transfer that here to to Tūrangi um, when we came home has looked like a number of things. <laughs> um, but we tend to get a lot of groups come through, um, right. people wanting to have some time out, um, yeah, either groups or as families. Um, but it's really about the people wanting the experience of being in a Māori context. Mm-hmm. Um, and similar questions to the Nate's Kaupapa, like what does it mean to be um, engaging authentically either as Māori or Indigenous, um, but also non-Indigenous um, as Pākehā New Zealanders? What does it mean to be engaging authentically with Māori um, in Māori contexts um, and trying to understand that? So, um, yeah, we host people here. Hannah, we've 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 visited and seen the size of it. So just give people an idea of the sure. the scale that we're talking as well. It's not just uh, it's, yeah, it's not one a small or, one family or two, home. is it? No. <laughs> um, so, um, it's like I said, it's my grandmother's land. Um, and but in this the sixties, it was confiscated, and a maternity hospital was built here. Mm. Um, and in the nineties, our family were able to buy it back. Um, so. It's the maternity hospital plus other land. Um, there are three houses, um, and all of that wraps around my grandparents' homestead, which was not lost. They held on; they were able to hold on to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's um, five households here plus a 26-bedroom hospital. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so great! There you go. Yeah. So if you're ever passing through Tūrangi. absolutely. Um, <laughs> so so how has um life looked different for you in lockdown um so our hapu had um had an emergency response um and so i got involved with that um and we were trying to you know just create a bit of a phone tree call people just see what what people were needing what kind of support we were needing and um, they were needing and that looked like, you know, picking up food and medicine for people who couldn't um, who couldn't do that. Um, and then it extended to firewood deliveries and, and what have you. Um, and the, there's a particular beauty about it for me because Tūrangi is only on our hapu land. Like there's no other hapu involved in the direct township. Um, and that um, custodianship or that guardianship and, and the care was extended to anyone who lived within our area it wasn't just for our hapu members mm. um, and so that was yeah that was pretty special to be a part of um but life other than that life hasn't been too difficult uh, too different um except for the kids um being home yes uh, so you're playing playing teacher to two two teenagers uh, yeah they are the teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh, they they're set up with their Chromebooks, which we're really grateful for. Um, there's challenges with rural internet, but mostly it's been it's been pretty smooth sailing. Mm. Oh, that's good. 
Mm. Has been. We're really fortunate actually to be in this place during lockdown. Um, there's so much natural beauty. We're right beside the Tongariro River. Mm. Um, so we're able to go for walks and yeah. Nice it's been, to have it's been really space, peaceful, eh? actually. Yeah, a lot of peace, a lot of birdsong. Um, so I can't argue with birdsong and river sounds. Mm. And so um, you've got enough space there, Hannah, for the, all those five households haven't been in one bubble for the whole time, have they? I guess you'll be looking no, to re-merge as we move to level two and then beyond. Yeah, and I'm... Um, perhaps overprotective of my parents and my elderly uncle, but that's fine. Um, so I was really strict about the bubbles. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yep. no. And so we're still in them. Um, yes. We haven't extended our bubbles at all, um, but we, but we will do. Yeah. Yeah. Slowly. <laughs> hey Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us tonight. It's been lovely talking with you. Oh, you too. Thanks for putting this out for everybody to have something really interesting actually <laughs> to tune into yeah cheers see you soon bye that's news talk zb news sport and weather to seven past six it's total recall with frank ritchie and jacks van buren on news talk zb It's hard to know exactly where to start in introing our next guest, Frank Ritchie, because there's a certain strangeness about interviewing in a radio program that's really a podcast, someone who we both met through radio. Frank, so good to have you with us, mate. It's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, there are quite a few connections there. Frank is now hosting a radio show that Sam used to host. Yeah. Uh, Frank and I now. hosted radio shows together for years, about seven years. Um, but also, we have done the Venn vocational program together, which is what your main connection to Venn has been. Yeah, Frank, and so before we get to what the multiple jobs are you do at the moment, tell us a bit about how that vocational program was for you. It, w- it was really good. I've, I've got to admit, uh, and I think I've admitted this in multiple places, so I think you guys have heard this before. Uh, I, I went in and initially went in because I thought there were a bunch of other people I knew who were going to be doing it. And I was like, oh, it'd be great to hang out with those people. Uh, and then when those people decided they weren't going to do it, I remember sitting there the first time thinking, what am I doing here? Um, and having done theological study formally, uh, I didn't I didn't think I was going to glean much from it. But that that turned out to not be the case. It was a it was a really valuable experience diving into uh, a good deep understanding of wisdom and uh, the place of wisdom in my life, uh, and really thinking it through uh, in quite a formal way was good. And then the relationships that came out of it as well. It was a valuable experience. And just to make sure we're clear, um, Sam and I didn't pull out. We did it with you. Oh, yes, yes. And that, the most that, of important course. people. <laughs> and of course, because you guys were there. It was amazing. Yeah, let's get our priorities right. <laughs> hey, Frank, tell us a little bit about um, the different jobs that you're doing at the moment. Yeah, so I, I have a few different things that I do. I uh, planted a, a church here in Hamilton uh, called Commoners. I'm an ordained Wesleyan Methodist minister. Uh, so we are the only Wesleyan Methodist church in Hamilton. I would describe us as uh, liturgical, 
contemplative. I have this sense that society is really noisy, stressful, and uh, causing a lot of anxiety for people at the moment. And I think churches, largely in order to meet that, are trying to cut through by being a bit noisier. And I saw an opportunity for a real prophetic response to that by saying, actually, I think I think church is a place where people should be able to slow down and learn to tune into the spirit. So that, mm. that's how I would describe us. Um, other hats, I do chaplaincy for people who work in news media. And that looks like sitting down and just doing coffee with people, helping them process uh, life. I do pastoral care for a group called Salt, which is about 300 people who work, uh, 300 Christians who work across media. And yes, I am Sam 2.0 uh, on Total Recall <laughs> on News Talk ZB every Sunday evening. Every Sunday oh. night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some software upgrades that are uh, a lot better than others. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, um, there'd be few landscapes that have changed more than media in the last uh, few years, Frank, and I'm talking pre-COVID. And then COVID comes along and advertising revenue just plummets. So what are you seeing and what are you hearing in the media landscape at the moment? Yeah, I mean, it was a really tentative space already. Uh, the landscape was changing fast. I mean, you had you had organisations like NZME and stuff talking about mergers and and not being allowed to merge. But one of the reasons they wanted to merge is because their businesses are just they're struggling, uh, and that that that's the same across the board. The Herald has Im- implemented a subscription model uh, for a, for its online stuff uh, because they needed another form of of revenue. Everybody's everybody was. Struggling, and then coming into this, uh, that's been that's been heightened to a degree that probably nobody foresaw. Nobody knew this was going to happen. Uh, so with with everybody going into lockdown, businesses shutting down and not being able to operate, yeah, they've had no advertising dollars, so they haven't been able to spend it anywhere. So all these media businesses that have relied on advertising dollars, their revenues have been cut. Now the strange thing is that engagement with media is through the roof. I mean, our our Sunday night stats, I haven't seen them yet but I would imagine they're huge we're getting more calls than we've ever had and that that's happening across the board so you've got people engaging lots advertising revenue is gone which means that loads of jobs are being cut from all over the place and some some big institutions of New Zealand media have just completely disappeared yeah tell us a little bit about that because I I mean I I have been aware of some of those um, losses but a lot of people won't have been yeah, radio. Radio sport was probably the first big scalp because, of course, uh, sports pretty much disappeared really quickly as well. I expect that sort of thing to come back, though, as sports comes back. But what might not be coming back is all the magazines that were associated with Bauer Media. So a whole lot of New Zealand magazines were owned by a German investment group. Uh, called Bauer Media. Now, Bauer Media decided coming into this, I think they'd made the decision already. Uh, They had bought up a whole bunch of Australian magazines uh, just before we went into lockdown. And then when we went into lockdown, they had refused to take the wage subsidy or any assistance from the government and completely pulled out. And there was a call made uh, to editors of magazines that we would all know really well, the likes of The Listener, Women's Weekly, Women's Day, uh, North and South, to say that the next day, within the next 24 hours, that was at Down Tools and those magazines have now gone. Man. And so you're in a position where you're, you are a media chaplain. Have you been speaking to people who are just who are losing jobs? 
Yeah, a little bit. I, th- I think that'll ramp up when we come out of, out of lockdown properly and people have a bit more room to see what's going on, to feel the effects of really losing their jobs when they realise yeah. they've got nothing to come back to. And we have the opportunity to sit down and do a face-to-face coffee. Trying to do those conversations over, over the internet just doesn't work quite so well. But no. where, where some of my work has been actually is in advocacy. Uh, in this space, which is probably what's been different for me coming into this. The anti-media sentiment in New Zealand at the moment is relatively high. Uh, So being someone who doesn't look like a media person, I wear a clerical collar, Um, me jumping online and acting as an advocate and defending defending them a little bit and speaking up for them has, has been something I didn't expect, but that's probably something I've taken on a little bit. Frank, we'll, uh, we'll let you go in a few moments, but um, I was going to ask you, one of the recent things you did was a podcast series catching up with journalists who were involved in the Christchurch shootings, and uh, we've just had the, the one-year anniversary of that. Tell us a bit about that project and what it was like to interview those journalists. Yeah, I guess... Uh... Again, in a time where anti-media sentiment is quite high, we saw an opportunity to present a really human face of our journalists. And having been down there uh, the weekend of the shooting, working with journalists, helping them de-stress, helping them try and make sense of what was going on, I knew that these people had a real heart. And so we wanted to get that across a little bit. So in that podcast series, you hear firsthand the experience of Christchurch journalists who were on the scene uh, just after the shootings took place. So they, they were arriving as people were running out of, out of the mosques. Um, and it was a good chance to help, help New Zealanders hear what goes on for them. It was also a good chance for some of them to process it for the first time because some of them had not had an opportunity to talk about it before. So sitting down with me in those interviews was a way for them to process a little bit. And I think we came out with some very special conversations. I mean, Lisa Davies, TVNZ, uh, both her and I were in tears a little as we went through her parts of her interview. Uh, and some of them are, are quite raw. I think they're really valuable for Kiwis to listen to. Hey, mate, it's been so great to have you uh, come on and, and chat with us. Uh, we appreciate you. You're, you're busy at the moment. There's lots going on. Um, all of the areas that you work in have uh, provided Uh, more work not less in this lockdown time so we really appreciate it and if you're listening and you think Frank is clearer than most of our guests it's because he's the only person out there that's got a bigger microphone than we've got (laughs) we can't show it to you because this is audio only but on the zoom call it is impressive indeed great to have you on mate all right catch you later guys Well, it's great once again to be talking to Olivia Byrne, who is fresh in from a run out in the cold, the changed weather. I know. What's it like running in Arctic conditions? You know what? It's really harrowing out there. (laughs) (laughs) I've never experienced anything like it. New York winters don't even compare to it. It does feel like that though, eh? The sudden change is like, this is cold. I know. And the worst part is it's surely only like 15 degrees. Right. And we're not actually even in winter yet. We're we're pretty much, we're being pretty pathetic. It's just our sensitive wee souls adjusting to it. It is. Hey Liv, as we've gone to this new fortnightly rhythm with Venn Lockdown Radio and Common Ground, what is that actually going to look like? 
Yeah. So we've got, as you know, Lockdown Radio has come out on a Saturday morning. Um, next Saturday morning, we're going to be having Common Ground come out at our early time of 6am. Um, and that will be coming out on a fortnight, fortnightly basis. Great. And so what is it that we can look forward to in um, the Common Ground next week? Yeah, so that uh, in the next Saturday, we've got our edition that's going to be themed around friendship. This is um, a theme that's very close to Luke Fennick's heart, and he's yeah. actually going to be writing our feature article for it. So um, he's going to be writing uh, a little bit about referring to John 15, talking about uh, the nature of friendship and what it actually looks like to call someone friend. He'll also reference the White Rose Group, which he's actually done a conversation evening on um, in years gone past. And so it'll be a really, really interesting piece. We've also got a couple of pieces coming through um, a Families in Lockdown article from Yana Dennison, who's John Dennison's wife. Yeah, down in Wellington. And then Ella and Salmi is going to be writing this uh, next week's staff note. And um, we've also got confirmed Josh Couch one of our alumni who will be doing our alumni interview. So oh. it's going to be, there's a few other articles that are yet to be locked down, but I think that, um, I think that it's going to be another great addition. So we're looking forward to it. Great. Awesome. Well, you're telling us about an ant infestation. So they're obviously not put off <laughs> by the cold weather. Uh, <laughs> no. out, just out you there on the uh, hygiene of your, uh, of your Thank so, you um, very much, sir. <laughs> you go and sort them out. not a reflection of hygiene. No. <laughs> Maybe it is, Jules. Well. You don't know. <laughs> Speaking of not a reflection of hygiene, I did see someone post that her kids have got nits. How do you get nits in lockdown? Oh, mate, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just coming on to give the, there's just the common ground updates, man. Like, why am I? <laughs> I'm not the authority. Ask Ashley Bloomfield. <laughs> I don't know. Put olive oil on their head and, you know. Wait, Hope for the best. <laughs> like, surely they've had nits all along. I don't know. I, it just made me, it made me. Anyway. <laughs> well outside of Liv's pay grade. We'll let you go and deal with the ants. Thank Someone else can Sam. deal with the nits. Thank you, Jules. <laughs> I'm really... <laughs> yep. Best interview ever. <laughs> See, See you, you next later. time. Bye. Bye, guys. Well, that's the end of our show for today. We'll be catching up with you again in a fortnight's time. Yes, in the meantime, keep an eye out for Common Ground, which will be coming out in a week's time, next Saturday. And if you are interested in catching Frank Ritchie's podcast that he was talking about, it's called Friday Prayers, and you can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. That was the one specifically around the Christchurch shootings. Mm, and it's very good. Yeah. All right, we'll catch you in two weeks. See ya. Do not fear, but please stay here, stay at home now everyone. We must wash and clean things well, cars no longer such a Don't let COVID virus spread, isolate yourself at home, see your friends online instead, that's the healthy way to do. Just stay here, time to all self-isolate. 
Wash your hands, use lots of soap. Don't go further than your gate. Social life must stay online. Keep two meters clear of me. Watch TV, drink lots of wine. That will kill COVID-19. Cough in your elbow, wash your hands with 